Welcome to Bible study, everybody. Glad you're here. It's good to see you. Yes. I'm excited about being here tonight after missing a couple weeks, but it's good to be back. And so we're going to get started. Now we spend a little time in prayer, ask God's blessing on our time, and then we'll get moving with the actual Bible study. Father, thanks for meeting with us here tonight. Uh, we proclaim that in faith, according to what you have already said, that where we gather in your name, there you are right in the middle of us. And so we welcome you here. We ask you, Jesus, that you would speak to us. We ask that you would lead us and you would guide us tonight. We pray that we'd have ears to hear what you'd have to say. We pray for your Holy Spirit uh, just to bring revelation, understanding. And I pray, Father, for uh, just a, a new idea, a new way of seeing things, a new way of seeing you tonight. Just ask, Father, that you be glorified through this time, glorified through what we do. And I pray, Father, we're open and ready to receive what you have for us. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tonight we have a question that came to us over uh, SpeakPipe, which is uh, the way that we receive questions uh, here during our Bible study. This one comes to us from Sarah Orr. Sarah is currently living in Dubai. And so she had heard something on one of our previous uh, podcasts of some kind. And so she had sent me a question. So I'm going to go ahead and play that and we'll see about answering it. My question is about what you were speaking on um, Sunday about being free to give in to your emotions uh, when God's working in you. I was just wondering, what do you think about negative and positive emotions? Is there such a thing as bad emotions, like fear or anger? Thank you. All right. So thank you, Sarah, for sending that question. She's referring back to... A few Sundays ago, when I was talking about experiencing emotion and part of what God has for us, I believe, in our relationship with Him is that for us to be fully human and to really understand Him more fully, we need to experience emotions. And I think people sometimes try to cut themselves off. They try to repress certain emotions or whatever the case may be, but fundamentally, some of that uh, can be dishonest, and some of it can actually keep us from really developing into who we have the potential and, and who God has created us to be. So uh, what I was trying to get at during that Sunday service, I was trying to encourage people to really experience the emotions, really live in that, really you know, allow God to, to bring that about in our lives, because I think we need it. I think we serve a God of emotion. I think he shows himself in the scriptures that way uh, lots of times. And so we're created in his image. So if we're really going to live in the image of God, we're going to live up to our creative potential. We're going to have to be a people that experience emotions and allow those emotions into our lives. Now, she asked a question about it, and that was, are there negative emotions or whatever? Well, there certainly are certain emotions that 
in our lives, if they run amok in us, they can cause damage and they can lead us astray. I think fear uh, is one of those that can do that. And so I really believe that uh, for some of us, we have irrational fears. Some of us have fears that make no sense. Some of us have fears that are based on past experience that uh, because we had a, a bad experience with something, we're afraid of the same thing happening. And if you were to quiz 10 people, eight of those people wouldn't have that fear, but because of our experience, we do. And so there certainly are emotions that the way that they play out in our lives uh, will lead us maybe down a self-destructive path, maybe down a, a path where we don't want to uh, participate in something or we begin to hide or it may lead us down a road of depression. I have no idea. I have no idea, but they're real. And my real main issue with that is recognizing them for what they are. And it, it, without experiencing them, without somehow bringing some kind of recognition to them, to deal with them somehow, we're never going to be able to deal with them. And so my thoughts on that are to be honest about it and to be upfront about it and to be with people that you know care about you and that can really help you work through them. So my answer would be, sure, there's, there's things in our life that can be destructive. There are things that if we allow them to run away in our hearts or in our minds can lead us toward destruction. Uh, and we need to be aware of that. But I don't think that that's a good enough reason to shut ourselves off either. And so I think that the real balance of that is honesty. I think the real balance of that is putting ourselves in a position where we can experience these things. We can experience whatever it is we're going to experience, but to also recognize it for what it is and to recognize it as is, well, this is a positive influence in my life. This isn't a positive influence on in my life. My my perceived need for whatever it is, for attention, my perceived need for companionship, my perceived need to be needed, my perceived whatever those things are and whatever emotions are attached to those, they all have their issues and drawbacks. But it doesn't negate the that we are emotional creatures and that we need to live in at least an emotional state somewhat in that we're experiencing the full range of emotions that we were created to experience. And so that was my main point, recognizing that uh, people go way off the deep end on anything, all right? But that doesn't mean we have to live in those extremes, but living in a place of health, living in a place of accountability, living in a place where we can trust people and people can speak into our lives we can really live, and and we have a safety net with those that God's placed into our lives. So I think it's the best of both worlds. Anybody want to add anything to that? All right. Okay, if, if you have a question for us that you would like to uh, be, have answered during our Bible study, you can leave the question at uh, the website it's uh, speakpipe s p e a k p i p e dot com www.speakpipe.com slash and it's monday night bible study all one word if you'd like to leave us a message uh, we'll give it a shot to answer it during the bible study time all right if we have our bibles we're going to open up to john chapter 2 gospel of john chapter 2 
If you need a Bible, I'm sure we can find one for you. But John chapter 2 and verse 11. Anybody like to read that? All right, thanks for reading that. And uh, so in this passage, I think most of us know, if I were to give, if I give a quiz before this, at least a lot of us would know the answer. And I'd ask the question, what was Jesus' first miracle? You'd, you'd know this one, maybe. Water yeah, water to wine. Uh, the word that John uses here is an interesting word because it reveals something about him and the way he sees Jesus. He, he calls it a sign. A sign. And so it reveals something about how he's looking at Jesus. It's used by John here. And John will use throughout the gospel the word works, that Jesus did works, that he did signs. And even though it says miraculous signs, it's a, he, he begins this by saying this was the first of Jesus' miraculous signs or simply works, meaning works are signs. And that's the way John saw it. But John knows, the, the one who wrote the gospel, he knows that Jesus is the agent of all creation. In other words, he really believes that. And the reason you know that is because you can go back into the gospel of John, just go back one chapter, uh, John 1, 2, and 3, uh, when he begins to speak, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then the next two verses, what he lays out and what he describes is the God who created everything. And so he has a firm belief that Jesus is the one who created everything. He has a firm belief that it was what Jesus was doing, that he is the agent in all of creation and all the source of life. So start from there when you think about John, the writer of the Gospel. Think about that's where he's coming from, that he is convinced, utterly convinced, that Jesus created everything and he's the source of all life. So start right there. So to him, from that perspective, and and I mean that's an important perspective to recognize right there, but from that perspective, no display of power is going to impress him. If you think about it. If this is the creator of the whole universe, Jesus, and that's what he proclaims in John 1, 2, and 3, if he's the source of all life, what's he going to do that's going to seem out of whack, like so impressive and so awesome that you're just going to stand back and say, I just can't believe he did that. What's, what's going to happen that's going to impress you that much? And that's the perspective, though, you see throughout the Gospel of John. I always find it interesting when people, you know, tell people, new believers, to read the Gospel of John. Gospel of John is a complicated Gospel. I've always believed that. And, and I, it, it's always struck me as kind of funny, and I don't tell people this, when they're new believers, read the Gospel of John. I read the Gospel of John, I get a little confused when I read the Gospel of John. Because it says things in two different ways in the same sentence. Sometimes. 
And so I read stuff like that and I get confused. If I tell anybody to read anything, it's the Gospel of Mark. Because that's simple. Because I don't know about Mark or who he was or whatever, but that's a simple gospel that was written in simple language. It brings out a simple story and simple understanding of who Jesus is and what he did. And that's a great place to start. The Gospel of John is a little bit complicated to me, for me. And part of the complication of the Gospel of John is this perspective that he's writing from. Mark is writing from an eyewitness perspective. In other words, whoever wrote the Gospel of Mark, he's bringing it forth. He's saying, this is what I saw and this is what I heard. And I'm just going to tell you what I saw and heard. John, on the other hand, is bringing forth a perspective where he's starting with the idea Jesus is the creator of all things. All things are held together by him and he's the source of all life. So I'm going to begin to tell you things about him based on what I just said. And so unless you're rolling in that same perspective, unless you have that same understanding of Jesus, now by that I'm not saying a mental assent to say, yes, oh yes, I believe that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you see Jesus, I don't care if it's old Jesus, Jesus on the cross, or baby Jesus, eight pounds, six ounce, baby Jesus in the golden fleece manger, I don't care which Jesus it is, whatever Jesus you're seeing, if your first thought isn't, well, he's the creator of everything, and through him is the source of life, which that was John's perspective, then you're going to have to come around to that in order to really read what John is actually saying throughout the gospel. That I do believe. And so I have to psych myself up to read the Gospel of John. I gotta psych myself up. Here's Jesus. He is the creator of everything. And, and he gives life to everything. That's who he is. Alright, now let me read this. Let me read it. So, a sign. A sign of what? Well, he says this. What's the sign of? He says this was the first of his signs. So he didn't, he wasn't startled by it. And he doesn't even relay it in a startling way. Right, this, this sign. He's like, yep, this was a sign. First one we saw. First one he displayed. The first one he showed himself through. This is the sign. Because after all, he's the agent of all creation and he's the source of all life. So he gave us this sign. He showed us something. And that was his perspective on it. So he wasn't startled. He wasn't impressed. I don't see that anyway. And he saw what Jesus did as the natural work of a supernatural worker. And so what does Jesus do? He does signs and works. What do they look like to us? Miracles. What do they look like to us? Wonders. What do they look like to us? Stuff that... We don't see people doing on a regular basis. But to John, they were just this, well, this is, this is what he does. This is who he is. This is a sign to anyone, and this is John's message to us, why he calls them signs throughout the gospel. These are signs to anyone that can spiritually interpret them. Right? Because... You can see this in a bunch of different ways. He's giving us the opportunity through the sign Jesus is. And by the way that John presents it, gives us the sign to spiritually interpret this. 
Now, look at this two ways. I'm going to give you an example how you can see this two ways. Water becomes wine. I want you to think about that idea for a second. The first idea I give you is what we normally think of, that by the will of Jesus, water turned into wine. He willed it to be. The second way I want you to see this is a very natural way. Where does wine come from? Where do grapes come from? Well, they come from a vine, and the vine comes from the ground. So how does the vine grow? Okay, so it gets rained on. It goes into the ground. It nourishes the vine. The vine grows up and produces a fruit, the grape, and fills it with what? Good juice, right? Right? Fills it with juice. And so we take that juice and we squeeze it out, age it, and it becomes... So where does wine come from? Water. Yeah, so so in a very natural way, the agent of all creation... Now think about this, okay? The agent of all creation created that from the start. And it's a very natural process that rain falls, produces the vine, nourishes it, the fruit comes forth from the vine, and produces the juice that makes the wine. And so wine in and of itself comes from water. But that's the way God created it. That's the way Jesus had created it from the very beginning. So by his will, water is made into wine. So, Jesus says so. Jesus says so. There's an old French saying. I don't know it in French, though. It translates, I, I can't remember it in French, but it translates, here the wine, here is the wine who fell from the sky. So in other words, by that saying, it's an old peasant saying in France, they're recognizing that God had turned water into wine before they drank the wine that they produced from their vine. Here is the wine, here the wine who fell from the sky, is how the, what the saying is. All right. So what this became and what these signs became, and, and I'll get back to why that was important, why I just said that. But what these signs became, they became, they're the signs of a new revelation that God was bringing. And so John, in calling them signs, he was giving us an opportunity to take hold of a new revelation of how God was going to do things. And how God was going is doing things. So somebody look at John one seventeen. That's pretty weird, right? That's pretty weird, right? Okay, what's John one seventeen? Did you know Moses, his first miracle was to change water into something? (laughs) 
It was. It was, uh, if, in, I think it's Exodus 7.20. But he changed water into blood. That was his first miracle. So Jesus' first miracle was change water, or his first sign, as John would say, was change water into wine. But doesn't that speak a little bit to the difference between Moses, the law, and Jesus, the revelation that he brings through the gospel? Doesn't that speak to that somewhat? I mean, because, read John one seventeen again. Sorry, I should have had you do it right away. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. All right, so... So it, and that verse speaks to us it. like the law was given through Moses. It doesn't mean Moses was a bad guy or anything else. It just means that that's the revelation that was coming forth. That's what God was speaking. That's what God was doing. That was God's way of communicating with his people, of having a relationship with his people. It was God's provision over his people was the law. And so that came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. And so there's a revelation that's coming forth through this. There's a revelation that comes by the wine, the water into wine. There's a revelation that God wants to bring into our lives through that. If we can see it, if we can receive it, that's what the sign is for. That's why he calls it a sign. Not only is it just a part of how he saw Jesus and his, his supernatural nature, but it was something more than that. It was also a sign that was bringing a new truth. It was a sign that was bringing a new revelation. It was a sign that was bringing something that they had never seen before. And so he's going to show them. You know, if you're driving down the road and you don't know where you're going, and you don't have you know, one of those things in your car that tells you where to turn, signs help. All right? They really do. And even if you do have that, signs help. Because I don't know about you, but I, I can listen to that all day, but I still want to see the street sign. Make sure I'm on the right road. So the sign is given. It's a sign of a new revelation. And it's a sign also that there's a living principle that John's going to bring forth in his gospel. And that living principle is going to be expanded, is going to grow as the gospel moves forth through the life of Jesus. And so the living principle begins with the first sign. And the living principle we see in this first sign, and there's a couple of, uh, of living principles we see in this sign, but one of the living principles you see here is that Jesus says so, that he wills it, and it happens. That the same Jesus that created all things now willed this in these stone pots for a process that he willed however many years ago it was, and he's still willing to this day, he also willed as a sign to the people that were watching, a revelation of who he was, a revelation of life, a revelation of, as he says later on, showing his glory. That's a weird word, glory. We don't even use it the same way they use it in the Bible. We think of glory as, as something else. And, and that's okay, I guess, because we don't have this kind of glory in our normal lives. We don't see this kind of glory on television. 
We don't experience this kind of glory through athletic endeavor or through any other type of endeavor in movies or any things that people do that we think are glorious. We don't see this and understand it. Go back in John chapter 1 and verse 14. It, it begins to explain this. It says, The Word became flesh. So there's the incarnation in verse 14. And it says, We beheld His glory. We beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father or the, the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, the way we see that glory, the way that glory is being manifested to us is grace and truth. Because uh, I don't know about you, I don't know what else you see there. Because what he was describing was a baby being born. That That's nothing in and of itself glorious. I mean, it's cute and it's nice and it's good. Nothing wrong with babies being born. I love seeing babies. But in and of itself, there's nothing glorious to that. Just like we're told throughout this, this in the Old Testament, even prophesying about Jesus, there was nothing about him to behold, about him, that would draw you to him. And so something else was going on. Something else was being revealed. Something else was coming forth that was beyond the way he looked or the way he sounded. Beyond his physical characteristics, there was something else going on. The sign... The sign was not pointing to him, you know, in any physical way. And, and understanding that is to understand that the concept of his glory didn't have anything to do with the way he looked or the way he sounded. It just didn't. And I know it's hard for us to separate those things. It really is. We have a really hard time separating how someone looks and they sound or how they dress or whatever other you know parameters we put on that and understanding that that's not the person. We have a really hard time with that. How a person smells. That's not really the person. But that's hard for us. Really hard. And I mean, specifically if they smell badly. They have a foul odor about them. It's tough. It's tough. Because we depend on our senses to tell us things like that. And yet, that really wasn't the sign. The sign that John talked about with Jesus, you know, talking about the, this first sign that he showed, it didn't have anything to do with how he looked. It didn't even have anything to do with how, what he said. Because what did he say? Does anybody know what he said? How did he change the water into wine? Did he do a dance over it? Did he, did he strike it three times with his hand? Did he kneel down and quietly pray? Did he sweat when he was doing it? Did he yell at the top of his lungs and command it to happen? How did he do it? Well, yeah. I mean, what does it say in the story? How did he do it? How did he do it? Do we know? Huh? He said, go get, yeah. Yeah. Go draw some water. So how did he do it? Don't know, right? <laughs> he willed it. And it was. <laughs> it's freaking awesome. 
So the sign didn't point, and the reason I'm pointing that out, the sign did not point to his voice or did not point to his action necessarily. It didn't point to how he looked. It didn't point to what he demonstrated even. It didn't point to how he did it. It didn't point to any of those things. Because the whole story revolved around him just giving some simple instruction. Just some simple instruction. They followed the instructions, which he was an honored guest at the wedding, so they should have followed his instructions. They followed his instructions. They did it, and all of a sudden they served it up. What was it? It was the best wine. That's what they served up. Perfect. They didn't know where it came from. The disciples knew where it came from, though. And so who was he showing his glory to? His disciples. Who was the sign for? His disciples. Because there was no big deal made of it otherwise. Everybody else was in the party. They were in the wedding. They were doing what they were doing. All right? They, they weren't even paying attention. And he wasn't drawing attention. John is pointing it out. Remember, John, coming from the perspective, created all things, coming from all sorts of all life. He's come from that perspective. He's pointing it out. He's saying, here was the sign to who? To him. To him and the other disciples. That's who the sign was for. Who was he showing his glory to? Everybody? No. Just to the disciples. That's what he was doing. And he, and see, I want to say this to uh, hopefully encourage you. This is one of the important things about being a disciple is being aware of what's going on around you with Jesus. That's really important. It is important for you to be aware of what Jesus is doing. It's important for you to be aware of where he's at and what's going on. The sign came without any kind of a... a any kind of flurry. The sign, the sign came without any kind of uh, big deal. There wasn't any trumpet sounding or anything else. They just saw it. And it was a sign and it was His glory being revealed. How? To who? Just to them. Because they were paying attention for once. Maybe. Maybe He said, watch this. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. I don't think so though. I think they just need to be paying attention. But that's one of the things about being a disciple is to be aware of that, to be spiritually aware. You know, things happen every day around us if we'll see it. I mean, seriously, if we'll just pay attention, Jesus is moving. He's really moving around us. He's really moving in people's lives. He's moving in our lives. He's even moving through us sometimes. We don't even recognize it or see it if we're not paying attention. Maybe that word we gave, maybe that encouragement we gave, maybe whatever it was, and he's moving even through us, we need to be paying attention to that. Changing situations, changing circumstances, changing other people's lives right in front of us, he's moving. We'd have enough sense about us to at least pay attention to see it. Because there may not be trumpets sounding, and it may not be something that everybody sees. And it might be something that only you see, because you're the one there. You're the witness. You may be the witness. Good. Take note. You're the witness. Who else is going to see it? I don't know. 
Maybe nobody. I mean, there's angelic beings and there's spiritual beings that'll see it, but of human beings, who else is going to see it? Maybe nobody. You're the witness. So that, that comes from us being aware. I mean, John, in his, in his gospel, he only, uh, before the crucifixion, he gives seven signs that Jesus performed. Seven. And there's a lot more than that in other gospels. John concentrated on seven signs because he was revealing something about Jesus through him. There's something he was revealing about who Jesus is through each of those signs because he saw it. He was the witness. And so he brings revelation. Jesus brings revelation, but then through John, bringing revelation to us of each of those signs that he brings forth through his gospel. And each one's a manifestation of various aspects of Jesus' glory. If you want to think about the glory of Jesus, and again, this is not something that everybody saw. It's not like he was walking around glowing. He wasn't three feet off the ground. He's a human being, and he's walking around, and he's, he's living life. But there are moments in him living life. There are moments in the ministry that he was doing. There were moments in the things that he was being used in by, by God, by the Holy Spirit, that brought forth revelation of his glory. And you can think about seven different rays of revelation, if you want, or seven different facets of revelation that are coming forth through that. But they had to have eyes to see. They had to have ears to hear. They were the witnesses. And so John saw it. John heard it. He was the witness. And he brought it forth through his gospel. So let's go back. Let's go back to... Jesus at the wedding. I'm going to talk about, okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to pull out three things through that that were revealed about Jesus. They were revealed, his glory was revealed in three different ways. All right, so, and maybe you can think of more than this. But the first was his creative power. And by creative power, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? What, what were the two ways that wine comes from water? What do we see there? There's a natural, which is, is creative power from when? When does that, what creative power is revealed in that? When he spoke, when he spoke creation, right, in Genesis. Right, so that's the first way his creative power is revealed. What's the second way? He willed it. But the thing I want you to understand about that is all of these things are begin are they revealed through him? Why? Because to the disciples, so that they in turn would have faith to do even greater. All right, that's what I want to tell you. And so they see his creative power through the natural process of water to wine. That's revealed. And that's from Genesis, but they also see, oh, how did he do that? He just willed it done. It was just done. And so there's a creative power that's revealed, a creative glory that's revealed through that. Now, did every did everyone know he did it? No. 
Did everyone applaud Jesus and carry him on their shoulders? No. Did they have a special electric slide dance to Jesus at the reception? No. Not that we know of. Not that we know of. All right, so it's not that kind of glory, right? Remember I said the glory in the Bible is different than the glory that we know? They didn't put him on TV and tell him how great he was. Yeah, they didn't start putting him into the God Hall of Fame when he was, you know, 17. Before he ever played even one miracle game. All right, none of that. Didn't declare him anything. they, They didn't do that. All right, that's not what glory is. And so this portion of his glory is being revealed through this of his creative power. What's the second thing? Is the second thing I believe that's revealed through this is the holiness of that which had up until that time been considered common. In other words, what God was saying is, is that articles aren't made holy by bringing them into a certain place anymore. He was saying that wherever you go and whatever you do is making what God has created or affirming what God has created as being holy because you were there. So in other words, what was going on here was a wedding. Jesus went to that. There's family involved in that. There was wine. These were everyday things. Everyday things. But the everyday was being made sacred. The everyday was being made holy. The everyday saying this is important. It's not just what happens in the temple. It's not just because a priest is blessed. It's not because this thing dwells inside of a special room that makes it holy or, or makes it anything. You know, I always think about the, the first Indiana Jones movie. I saw that at the movie theater. That's how old I am. But they were after the uh, the Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments in it. The Nazis were after it, and they were after it. I don't know if you saw this on television or Blu-ray or whatever. <laughs> All right, or Netflix. But, yeah, so they were after this thing. But it's always funny because, like, they find it. I don't know if you remember the scene. They're in a cave or something, and they find it. And, and the greedy Nazi guy, of course, is going to open it up. And then as soon as he opens it up, this, you know, this, this force comes flying out of it and they all melt down to their bones and all of that, you know, but we, as human beings, we, we think of things in those terms or we, I, for some reason, there's some fascination with that. It, there just really is. And yet there, I, I don't see that as what Jesus is revealing anymore. That may have been true that, you know, when they, they touched the ark, and they died from touching the ark because it was so holy or whatever it was or or because of their disobedience, whatever you want to believe about that. All right? You believe that. And people believe that and folklore comes from that and, and people, you know, get really excited about that. And yet I think the revelation that we're seeing here is that Jesus was at a wedding with a bunch of family members and friends and people that were partying and having fun and drinking wine. And somehow, some way, that whole situation was somehow made sacred and holy. Why? Because he was there. Because the disciples were there. Because that's what the revelation is about it. 
that he would use whatever the divine will is to change water into wine. Why? Name whatever reason you want so that the host wouldn't be embarrassed, so the people could get keep drinking, so that the party wouldn't stop, so that the people would feel more comfortable dancing. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And I'm not going to make something up to try to come up with an answer to that. But what I will say is that he considered that important enough. Important enough that his glory was revealed through fixing it. Because he certainly considers it important enough to send the rain even on the grapevines. And for that rain to flow through that grapevine to produce grape juice, which couldn't be preserved in their day, which had only really one purpose, you either eat it off the vine, two purposes, or you're going to make it into wine. And that was it. They didn't have grape jelly. They couldn't make grape juice. They could make vinegar and wine, which is basically the same thing. That's it. But he considered it important enough from the start that he created that process on the day that he created everything. And he considered it important enough in this man's life, in this family's life, in this community's life, to see it happen right there in their midst. And if you can understand what I just said, you'll stop questioning, does God really care what's going on in my life? Because the answer to that is, Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Because the same process that made him care enough to create this whole earth and everything in it and seed bearing seed after their own kind, even until this day, that same care is the same care that's in your life right now. That same power, that same creativity is in your life right now. That's what he was showing us. That's what he was showing his disciples. That's what he was revealing. And the third thing I think that he revealed is that it's good for us to enjoy life together. It's good for us. And I know, and I'm not going to really give a caveat on this, I'm just going to say there's excesses in everything. I mean, even when I was answering the question to start this time, why did I say, yeah, there's excesses in everything, of course. But the excesses in everything isn't enough to quit everything, is it? It's not enough to avoid everything. It's not enough to pretend everything is bad or everything is evil or everything leads us down the wrong path. And what Jesus was doing here, he was, he was putting himself, he was revealing a portion of his glory, and that is this, it's good to have fun and to enjoy life together. It really is. And he wants us to understand that. And so I think the you, you look at this, it's like this is the first of the signs, right? And so he, he packed them in. There's other things in that. There's other, there's other revelations that are in that. And, and maybe, I mean, I can see some of them, but maybe I don't have the ability to see some of them. I have no idea. I can see what I can see. As a disciple, I'm looking at this and I see what I can see. And you look at it as a disciple, you see what you can see from that. You see what sign you see. You see how God reveals His glory to you through that. 
I'm just telling you what he revealed to me. But I'm a big believer that we need to enjoy life. I am. I'm a big believer that we need to enjoy our time with one another. I'm a big believer that joy is an important part of who God has made us to be. And it's also important enough to Him for Him to provide for it in our lives. I believe that too. Somebody look up Revelation 19.18. Revelation 19.18. Read that. So that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. That's why no one would read it. Okay. Yeah, I, I couldn't figure out how to do like a an animated reading of that. There was nothing animated about that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So what I'm looking for, and I'll find it, but what I'm looking for here is that in heaven, and the Bible declares this, that it's a, there's a wedding. All right, so in verse, let's go up to verse 8. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given for her to wear. Fine linen stands for the right things that God's people do. Verse 9, here's what the angel told me to write. Bless are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Then he added, these are the true uh, words of God. And so what you see in... Sorry about the missed verse there, but what, what you see here in Revelation is you see what people were doing in Cana. But it, instead of it being the wedding of whoever those people were, it's Jesus' wedding. And it's happening in a spiritual realm. It's happening in, in a realm in the heavenlies. So... What I'm getting at with this is that the revelation that we see here in John, right, of his glory, the understanding that we gain from that, that we see as disciples through what Jesus does there, I mean, it, we see it happening in the book of Revelation later on, in the heavenlies. And so Jesus' stamp of approval on this was such that it was a stamp of approval not only for the moment, but a stamp of approval for all of eternity. This is who he is. This is who he is. And this is how he wants us to know him. So the end result of this, you go back to uh, John 2.11, the end result of this is that his disciples believed more. They already believed in him. It says it earlier that they believed in him, but they believed more in him. They began to settle some things about him and who they were and who he was. And this helped them do that. See, they were responding to the sign. They saw the sign. And so they decided they're going to respond to it. I mean, you think about how do you respond to signs if you actually read them? How do you know what door to go out? It's the exit, right? Yeah. How do you know what door to go in? 
Entrance. So what happens if you try to go in the exit door, depending on where you're at? That door might hit you right in the face, right? Somebody coming out of it or whatever. Don't work that well. May not open if it's an automatic door. You stand there. Can't get in. If you try to push a pull door, what happens? Nothing. Nothing. But if you pull, pull. You need to pull it, right? What about on the road? You see signs. Stop sign. What do you do? Stop. Green light. What do you do? All right. What about the sign with the numbers on it? It says state speed limit. What does that tell you? Stay with <laughs> Yeah. So we obey, we follow, we adjust, hopefully. We see signs. That's important. That's what they were doing, too. They were seeing the signs. And they were obeying, they were following, and they were making adjustments to how they saw things and what they believed based on the signs that they saw. Let's try uh, John 14.1. Give that one a shot. I like this one, so I think it's right. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. All right. Some of your Bibles, they say believe in God. Some of your Bibles say trust in God. Same thing, in a sense. And so the disciples... Were this is what was going on. They were in a process of letting their hearts not be troubled, but believing and trusting in Jesus. And so when they saw a sign like that, they obeyed it. They followed it. They made their adjustments to it, whatever was in their mind. And by doing that, they were settling their hearts from being troubled, settling it, and trusting more in Jesus. That's what God's called us to do. So I'm giving you one sign tonight. Cana, the wedding. We don't know how he did it. We don't know by what means it took place or anything else. All we know is that it happened. It's a sign, and there's revelation that comes through that sign if you can see it, if you can receive it. The only other comment I'll make about it is that uh, when when the water was changed into wine, it was really made into wine. The substance changed. It wasn't just the attributes. What do I mean by that? Attributes. It didn't just look like wine. It didn't just smell like wine. And it didn't just taste like wine. It really was wine. And that's how God does stuff. He changes the substance of it, not just the attributes. And so your expectation, my expectation for our lives, needs to be an expectation for the change of substance and not just attributes. I don't want to just look like it or sound like it or smell like it. I want to be it. Right? And that needs to be my attitude, my expectation, and my faith. Right there. That's my trust. I'm going to be it. I'm going to be it. I'm going to be it. So any comments? Anybody want to say anything? Or any questions?
All right. Go ahead. Okay. Creative power. Second was the the holiness of the common. Sacredness of the common. I don't know what else I said. The third thing, I just wrote the word fun. Whatever else I said, I don't know. It just came out. I don't know what happened. Alright. Alrighty. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for uh, this revelation of you. I just want to say thanks that you continue to show us who you are. And I thank you for the signs that you give your disciples. I do. I thank you for that. And I thank you for revealing your glory. So tonight, I, I just pray that we would have really eyes to see and ears to hear. That we'd really be able to receive of you and receive revelation of you. So tonight, I, I pray that your revelation would come more and more. And I pray that more importantly than revelation coming, I pray that we would respond to the revelation that we have right now. That we would respond to that. That we would make adjustments. That we would obey. That we would change directions if we need to. And I pray, God, that our trust, our trust would grow and grow and grow in you. God, thanks for showing us something new. I pray for a change of real substance of of who we are. Change, God. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alrighty. Good to see everybody. Thanks for coming. We'll see you again.